The following podcast on the WDKX Podcast Network is provided by Vision Automotive. Uh, Dr. Sean Delves joins us now. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, it's a great morning. It is. It's nice and sunny. Um, I'm really happy that we have a special guest in the place, Rochester's own homegrown, homegrown Dr. Myra Mathis, uh, graduate from Wilson High School. Um, I know she said you're a, a wildcat. Is that what it Wildcats. is? Wildcats. Wildcats. That's right. All right. Also went on to University of Rochester for undergrad and got her medical school and then went off to Yale for her residency. I'm talking about this super smart, but um, but more importantly, she cares about our community. We're going to talk about talk with her today. Good morning. How are you? I am well. How are you? Uh, good to have you, Dr. Mathis. So could you uh, – listen, for folks that don't know, uh, they get in – Really early and prepped. Okay, <laughs> ready to go. We had some really deep conversations off air, and this is going to be some really tough uh, conversations. But I think very much necessary. Um, first of all, can you explain to the community what you do? Yeah, so um, I am an addiction psychiatrist. So I take care of folks who have mental health conditions and struggles with substance use. So I'm the medical director for the U of R's Addiction Psychiatry Services at Strong Recovery. Um, and I'm really concerned about folks' relationships to substances and how it's impacting their health and their well-being. So, uh, so medical director means she runs stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I want to put some respect on that title. I want, I want, well, you, you don't want to talk to me. You. you don't want to talk to the community, and we appreciate that. Uh, some real conversation. So we had Dr. Michael Mendoza in yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about a lot of different topics. Obviously, you know, in a, in a short span, we can't really go deep into specific topics. One of the things I think that stuck with me was the fact that he's very concerned about the community, as you are. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned the concern of the rise in cocaine. Yeah. Um, and before I get to that, and I'm, we've got time to get into that discussion. Can you sort of give the community an idea of why people might be using substances? Yeah. So um, I will give the example of like things that we, we consider normal, right? Mm-hmm. Having a hard week at work or stress with your family and your kids and you're like, I just need to go out and have a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to do something. I just need to go out and have a good time. And you may not feel like you have an addiction or like a problem with substance use, but you recognize that there is something about using substances that takes your mind off of those pressures. Hmm. And it feels like it gives you a little bit of a break. Yes. Most people use substances for that reason. And we're not just talking just a drink. We're talking other things. Other things. Most people are using things because there's something going on, whether it's a a diagnosable mental health condition Mm -hmm. or life stressors, trauma, and they they need a break. Mm -hmm. They need their mind to have some relief in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And for some people, right, if there's a genetic predisposition to developing a substance use disorder. So um, substance use disorder is another word for addiction. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. Addiction can be um, inherited up to 50%. Okay. All right. So we're talking somebody who's uh, a part of your family. A family member who has an addiction, a first-degree relative. So we're talking about parent or sibling, right? If they have an addiction, then the the person next to them has a 50% chance of developing it Mm -hmm. genetically, Mm -hmm. right? So for that person who may have a, a genetic predisposition or a family member with a substance use disorder, if they go out saying, I just want to get a little bit of a break, it might be different for them than a person who doesn't have that family history. Okay. You know, it's interesting. In our third episode, Dr. Cole talked about that, too. Uh, again, this is episode nine, I think. On the third yeah, episode, yeah. he said, we don't only pass down 
some things genetically, we also pass down the habits. Yeah. So if someone always sees someone else using or abusing, and that's all they've seen their whole life, mm-hmm. right. then that becomes a, a normed response for them when they deal with stress. Yeah. We talked about the importance of modeling how we deal with stress with our kids, too. Yeah. If they always see you running for the bottle or running for drugs, then that's what the kids think is the most appropriate way of dealing with things. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's very true. And one of the challenges, too, they've done this with, like, twin studies, right, where they have folks raised in a home where there's substance use and then folks not raised in a home with their substance use, mm-hmm. but they have the same genetic background. And the folks with the same genetic background still have that risk. Mm. So it is both the genetics and the observed behaviors. Mm -hmm. And both of those contribute pretty significantly. So when people are, people use drugs because life is hard Mm -hmm. and they're trying to find an escape and we haven't found other ways, healthier ways to cope. Uh, Now, there are outliers that uh, know this, fight it, you know, deal with it every day, go to other things. Um, before we get to sort of the, the things or the healthier sort of ways to sort of handle this, um, w- what have you come across? What have you seen when it comes to abuse? We know about alcohol, mm-hmm. but uh, when when Dr. Mendoza was here, I, I, I didn't realize cocaine was an issue. Mm-hmm. And then there's fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the spectrum of substances, right, that yeah. folks use. And that's what you're getting to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um Now, we know about the cocaine epidemic that hit black communities in the 70s and 80s, the 80s in particular. And there was a feeling for some folks that that kind of died down a bit. But what we know in black communities, that didn't quite die down. Mm -mm. It It just took on different forms. And what's concerning about cocaine use today is that, as you mentioned, fentanyl is present in our drug supply. So fentanyl is what we consider a synthetic opioid. Opioids are like heroin, oxycodone, morphine, those kinds of things. But fentanyl is a synthetic version of that, which means it can be made and mass produced. Hmm. Fentanyl that's made and mass produced is in the drug supply and mixed in a bunch of things. And it's contaminating cocaine. So one of the concerns about increased rates of cocaine use is, yes, the cocaine use on its own that can lead to its own health problems. But when it's contaminated with fentanyl and there's somebody who's never used an opiate before, they're at increased risk of overdose. I'll give you an example. Back in like 2015, there were some researchers um, who really looked at large metropolitan areas across the country. So we're looking at big cities. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that the rates of overdose deaths were the highest for black men ages 34 to 55. Why? Cocaine use contaminated with fentanyl. Wow. Wow. Um, it, man, there's so many different directions to go here. 1039 WD Kicks. Check your health segment. Uh, I want to make sure that people understand what we're talking about, why it is, and it's affecting the community. Uh, Dr. Myra Mathis. Yeah. Dr. That's Myra it. Mathis here. And the long title, which is not in front of me right now because my, my phone went to sleep. Because I'm, I'm concentrating on you. Usually I'm just like getting ready for the next segment or the it's next all question. Good. It's uh, good. E- either way. A discussion on the uh, importance of what's going on in our in our community, especially with African Americans. Medical director, U of R Medicine's Addiction Psychiatry Services. That's it. So, in other words, the balls. <laughs> <laughs> Of what's yeah, yeah. going on with us. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, absolutely. And I, I shared this off the, off the air, too, so I'll share it now. I mean, this is a, a really personal topic. And it seems like every week there's a personal topic because everyone has a connection to everything we've talked about these, these last eight weeks. And, and for someone who lost his father uh, in his early teens to 
to, to drug addiction, and then we believe it was heroin laced with fentanyl, mm-hmm. um, you see the impact of how drugs can destroy an entire, not just a family, but generations of family yeah. who go through yeah. that trauma. And, uh, and so we have to put a stop to that. And one of the things that, that you mentioned is, uh, is, that, is that some of the screens that we see, some of the screens that you observe, that most of the, the issues that you see is, is, is based on all the drugs having some sort of fentanyl in it. Yeah. And, so people, and people not understanding how much they're actually ingesting. Until yeah. uh, until it's too late for some people. Well, can I say this? So, Doctor Mathis, I don't do none of that stuff. I just smoke my weed. Am I safe? Oh, good question. And I have to answer. I that. don't smoke weed. I'm just. <laughs> I want to put that out <laughs> there. It's all good. It's all good. And there's no judgment here. Okay, there's no judgment. But um, no, that's a good question. So, what does it mean to be safe? I will say this: we are seeing um, individuals come into our clinic who say, "All I do is." All I do is smoke weed. And we get their toxicology screens and there's fentanyl in their screens. So, and it's not that the fentanyl is being grown with the cannabis or grown with the weed, right? But if you're in a place where they're packaging it in the same area, they're packaging the weed and they're packaging the opiates or the fentanyl, there can be cross-contamination. So we are seeing that more often. The other thing with weed is that today's weed is not our parents or grandparents' weed. It's more potent. It's more potent. So people are getting addicted to weed at rates that are higher than it was before. Hmm. So safe is it's like relative. Like what what does safe really mean? Mm-hmm. People say the safest thing is don't touch it at all, which okay, you don't you don't touch it, you don't get exposed to it. But if you are using, what can you do to be safer? Like, how can you think about being careful about your supply, mm-hmm. being careful about the potency of what you're using? Uh, there, there are sort of this, these discussions going on. Well, I got it from a store mm-hmm. or I got it. Sometimes I got it from a friend yep. or whatever it might be. You're saying in the toxicology report that reveals all that data will tell you, OK, you may have gotten from a source you thought would be safer than others, but it's not. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, even the people who are giving it to you, they might not really know what's in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the person that you trust who is giving you that bag really knows what's in that bag. They may or may not know. So they're not trying to get you on purpose. But because fentanyl is cheap to mass produce, it is really being pushed at a greater degree. And it's really contaminating almost all other drugs that are not being provided from a legal source. You said that's all drugs. You said pills, heroin. So, oh, yeah. So this is, not, this is not just a heroin cocaine issue. This is it, drugs across drugs the spectrum. Drugs across the spectrum. So here's the thing. I have not seen a heroin toxicology screen in years. Like I can count on one hand in the last four years how many heroin screens I've actually seen. So what Her- are people dying from? Fentanyl. Heroin is not on the streets. What? It's, it's labeled as, as, as heroin, but it's fentanyl. There is no heroin on the streets in Rochester. All of the dope is fentanyl. Uh, what is a number I could call for somebody that either I'm dealing with it and I don't want nobody to know I'm just listening to the show yep. or somebody I know is dealing with yep. it? So you can call Strong Recovery Services. That's our addiction psychiatry program. 275-3161. Um, what's the number again? 275 275- Three one six one, and I will say we have services for family members mm-hmm. and services for individuals who are dealing mm-hmm. with addiction. So, like you said, if it's a loved one that you're that's struggling, 
you can come and get services from our family counselors to help you navigate your loved one's substance use as well. Uh, I did two, two alleys want to go down one, um, what to say to individuals that are going through it. Yeah. Uh, number two, how did we get here? Hmm. I guess is the other end of this. Uh, because Oof. you said, what was it, 20, was it 15, 16? Yeah. After that, it skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we get? And then, you know, it, it, this is a long, very lengthy and tough discussion mm-hmm. when it comes to how do we mentally get over this hurdle. It's almost as if we can't run from this. No. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about this, Sean. Absolutely. Like, this is not, it's not comfortable. No. Because we know somebody who's dealing with it. And off the air, we all, we all talked about yep. someone or a bunch of someones that we know have, who have dealt with this personally or, and professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, it's in our community, in all of our communities, not just in the black and brown communities, but we, but we know that it's concentrated here mm. um, by design. We can argue and say it's by design. We have to, we have to find a solution because we're losing people uh, younger and younger. And even those who are living with it, the impact of their decisions they may not realize destroying future generations it becomes mm-hmm. genetic. It, it, you know, it just so many, so many different ripple effects that that occur when people don't deal with their addiction. Um, uh, Dr. Sean Nelms joins us now. You of ours, a check your health segment is a deep one today, Sean, a real deep one. It is deep. We are talking to the boss, uh, medical director, Dr. Myra Mathis, again from Rochester, Wilson grad, U of R grad, and Yale grad. Uh, parents were uh, in the clergy in this community. I just found out. I and, just and, found and, out. That's right. <laughs> and, and her, and her goal was to come back and to save and to help save this community by helping people be informed about themselves and their own addiction. She works at uh, You Are Strong, University of Rochester Strong, and the number there is 275-3161, What I love also about Dr. Mathis is that she's a fellowship director, which means she is teaching the next generation of psychiatrists about this work. So yeah. you are not just fixing the now, you are fixing the future. And we're talking about the future of our community and the dependency on, on opioid use and drug use in our community. And she's our expert helping us to think better about this topic. Uh, so, so first off, I got, I got to ask, how did we get here? Yeah. How, what, in your sort of data and discussion, how did we get to a point where uh, drug use was pretty bad you know, 2015, 2016, 17, yeah. but then skyrocketed after. So um, we, putting this all into context, right? Mm-hmm. There have been waves of substance use crises in the country, like over decades. Mm-hmm. We mentioned, you know, 70s, 80s, crack cocaine predominantly in, in communities of color and black communities, um, even into the 90s. And then we look at the 90s to the early 2000s, and that's when we had it. Um, increased in prescription opioids Mm. and increase in overdose deaths through prescription opioids. And that's when opioid use disorder and addiction started to have a different face, right? It, it was talked about differently Mm -hmm. because it was impacting a different community. Nope. Nope. Hardworking coal mining, you know, blue collar white communities. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, um, one of the things that we have to reckon with, right? So this was a proliferation of prescriptions and overdose deaths as a result of that because folks went from prescription opioid use to heroin use. Mm -hmm. And then the heroin started to change. Hmm. In 2015, 2016 is when the heroin, actually a little bit early in other parts of the country, but Mm -hmm. around here, 2015 to 2016, heroin started to change and become fentanyl Mm -hmm. because fentanyl is cheaper, easier to produce, mass produce, more uh, potent which leads to more ods leads to more overdoses yeah um and really 
we're shifting now, actually, where for a lot of the 2000s, the highest rates of overdose were in white communities, and that's what everyone was talking about on the news. Mm-hmm. Right now, the highest rates of overdose deaths are in black communities and in Native American communities. Mm. In Rochester, the highest rates of overdose deaths are among black folks. Wow. I, I just made a connection that, and again, because I'm an education head sometimes. 2016 to 2020, that's what you would kind of bookmark COVID. Mm-hmm. Then 2020 to 2024, which we're approaching, mm-hmm. that eight-year span, if you think about what was happening in Rochester in terms of graduation rates, mm-hmm. lack of employment, mm-hmm. yes, it, it lines up almost perfectly. Yes. And that's eight years of graduating classes leaving this community mm-hmm. and staying, mm-hmm. but staying in a system where they're struggling, not all, I don't want to give a paint this, mm-hmm. old, this oblique picture, but, mm-hmm. but, but all in this community that never really faced the most important shift, which was a shift towards fentanyl use and, and destruction mm-hmm. of families. Mm-hmm. Think so, about that eight years. I, I just, it, it was clicking in my head as you were speaking about with, 16 to 20, 20 was COVID. Then 20 to 24, the next year's graduating class. With, with an accelerant in 20. In 20, right. Because of all the time that we've basically had around one another, uncertainty, right. concern. Sometimes the stuff, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Dr. Mathis, is in what we deal with personally. Okay. Issues going on, household, different, yeah. different things like that. Then accelerate that in 20 mm-hmm. with the uncertainty of uh, COVID. Yeah. And it, we're talking to where we are right now. It was a perfect storm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're since nationally around 2018, 2019, overdose deaths started to decrease a little bit. Mm-hmm. 2020, that all changed. Mm-hmm. Dramatic increase. And we have increased overdose deaths nationally every year since then. Mm-hmm. Over 100,000 deaths due to overdose in 2022. And the thing is, these are preventable deaths. Folks aren't trying to die. Like they're not intending, they're not using Mm -hmm. with the intention of dying Mm -hmm. and their deaths could be preventable. And it's because of the contamination of our drug supply. I had a question from the front line. I think you answered this question, but maybe you can clarify it. So what is it about fentanyl that makes it immediately addictive to some people? You Mm -hmm. talked about this. You said synthetic, but maybe folks don't understand what synthetic means in terms of potency. Yeah. So synthetic just means it's man-made. So it's not like, so heroin or opium coming from a plant is one version of an opiate, but uh, fentanyl is man-made. It's produced in a lab, right? And they make different analogs, change it up all the time, partially because it's harder to detect in drug and toxicology screens so they mm. can change it, but they find cheaper ways of making it. Mm. So, and when I say it's potent, I just mean it's, it's stronger. So there is the, the factor of it um, causing, um, leading to, a different kind of high that people are then trying to access. So that's one factor. Mm. But the other part of it is that it really overwhelms your, it overwhelms your body. Uh, Opioids slow down your breathing rate and they cause an overdose death by slowing down your breathing so much so that you just stop breathing altogether. Ah. Fentanyl, because it's stronger it is more likely to cause that slowing of your breathing rate and it can do so with a smaller amount. So like, let's say someone is used to using a gram of heroin. A gram of heroin is not the same as a gram of fentanyl. 
a yeah. gram of fentanyl is much stronger, but they're going to look the same. They're going to be packaged in the same way. And somebody's going to sell it to you saying it's the same thing. Experienced users these days know what they're getting is not heroin. If, if, if I'm listening to this now, whether it's me, myself, or somebody else that they know that's going through it, uh, with strong recovery or any sort of recovery, what what's going to happen? Because I think there's this uncertainty. I call this number, what is it, 275-3161. That's it. 275-3161. And there's so much uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, what, what's what's going to happen when it comes to – because everybody's recovery is different. Yep. Mm-hmm. So everybody's what, recovery is different. So really – our approach is what we call person-centered care. Mm -hmm. What we really want to do is figure out what is important to you and how can we tailor our treatment approach Mm. to what will best support you, Mm. right? So, um, for example, we've got a track called Sobriedad Fuerte. We have Spanish-speaking counselors. Mm -hmm. We have Spanish-speaking groups. We just started um, a Sankofa group that is rooted in black and African traditions for black black, uh, individuals seeking treatment. Um, we have peer specialists, folks who have been there, who have gone through the process and are, um, living out their recovery in a way where they can help you navigate that too. Um, we also recognize that a lot of folks are using substances because life is hard, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's, there's the phenomenon that, um, hard times, um, can lead to substance use and then that substance use can lead to hard times. Mm. And so when folks are dealing with substance use and addiction, they can also be dealing with homelessness. They can also be dealing with food insecurity. They can also be dealing with all of these other social determinants of health. So we have um, case managers who will help with housing. We have um, emergency food vouchers for folks who are who come to our um, program and who have food insecurity. You come in when, when you're enrolled in our program. If you um, need emergency food, We'll make sure you leave that day with with two bags of food. Mm. Um, So really, we're thinking about what it means to comprehensively address the needs of someone with substance use. And we're going to say, hey, there are medications that can help you. Mm. Medications for opioid use disorder decrease the risk of overdose by 50 to 80 percent. Wow. The medications work. And folks have feelings about taking medication. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't want to be on methadone. I don't want to be on Suboxone. The medications save lives. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you medications. We'll give you counseling. We want to make sure that we're able to address the, the issues and the needs that you have in a comprehensive way. Do I, do I have to, um, you know how it is, it's kind of, well, I know what I need. I'm good. I, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't need it. I don't need that. Is, is this one of those things where it's kind of like put it in your hands, let, let's take the control out of it? And put it in the hands of somebody because I'm out of control. That is a really good question. So um, I would say it can be both. Okay. Here's the thing. Folks feel like, well, I don't need it yet because I haven't hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is we'll need you to hit rock bottom before you get help. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like that, it, that's, the next one could be the last one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not a, that's not a requirement for getting some support around taking care of your health. Mm-hmm. This is another aspect of your health and well being, And so it doesn't have to be the, it doesn't have to get to the point of being a tragic story before you get the help that you need. So, first of all, I want to just say this is why DKX, WDKX, and U of R wanted to partner. Yeah. Because there's so much that the university is doing that people may or may not know about. Yeah. And I think it's not just for the person who's in need. It's for the family members who are observing it. 
So that hot, that number you provided is for families too. Yep. It's for them to get the support that they need and the information they need to help loved ones help themselves. Absolutely. Right. So two seven five three one six one. I want to talk about to go back to that that stigmatizing, making people feel guilty or embarrassed about having addiction. Yeah. I mean, you think about when we grew up. We even had songs like "Your Mama's on the Crack Rock," yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And we yeah, all can sing that that, gym, that 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 jingle, and it was. It was almost like we were embarrassed based on the conditions within our community. And and the shift was, was changed because other communities were not starting to be impacted. So let's just embrace the shift. I and mean, we know how, why that happened structurally. But now that it's shifted, how do we help people think differently about themselves and their loved ones yeah. who happen to be addicted to a substance they may or may not even know that they were taking? Yeah. So I'll just say on a personal level, this is why I became an addiction psychiatrist, because I saw the shift and I thought, no, we're not going to make we're not going to leave black and brown communities out of that. We are not going to have this um, change in a compassionate language around addiction Mm -hmm. and it not also apply to black and brown communities who have not Mm -hmm. only been harmed by the substance use disorders and the addiction itself, Mm -hmm. but have been harmed by structural responses to addiction that Say have that. not been kind that mm-hmm. have not been nice I yeah. mean, mass incarceration mm-hmm. over policing all of those things that we know um, were responses to the pro- to the struggles of addiction in our community so first that's just that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I know we need a shift and we need to embrace that and shift for our community and for ourselves uh, what's the number again uh, before we go two seven five three one six one that is the intake line for strong recovery if you call late in the evenings, early in the mornings, there's a crisis line that you will be directed to. Um, again, this is the U of R Strong Recovery 275-3161. And we're speaking to its medical director for addiction psychiatry services, Dr. Myra Mathis. Again, I have to just reiterate, Rochester's own Dr. Myra Mathis. So when we talk about the recruitment and the retention of people in this community by the University of Rochester, we need to have, find people who care about not just medicine, but about the people that the medicine and those um, are there to support. And having someone from Rochester be leading that department um, says a lot about you wanting to come home because a lot of folks want to leave Rochester. But a lot of people are coming home, continuing the work and legacy of your parents who were clergy, who did their own type of um, support and healing within the community. But also it's a, it's a tribute to University of Rochester for acknowledging that this is an issue. Yeah. If we're creating a center to, 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 to support and combat it, However, WDKX is making sure that those services are now known to the community. Yeah. And so by calling 275-3161, you can definitely help yourself and help your um, your loved ones battle this this enormous addiction. Yeah. Um, listen, this is a very tough conversation. I know some people maybe have had to deal with it during Thanksgiving. Maybe they've been dealing with it for years. Um, you know, have the number available, 275-3161, 275-3161. I can't say the number enough. If you need it again, we'll text it back to you at 678-1039. Uh, you know, you start thinking about, you know, the family member that you already know mm-hmm. uh, you may have lost or may or, or afraid to lose, yeah. uh, 275-3161. We are 103.9 WDKX Podcast Network. It's time for the second half of Check Your Health with Dr. Sean Nelms taking over. Welcome back to the second hour of the Check Your Health segment, and we're here with Dr. Myra Mathis, Medical Director, Department of Psychiatry for Addiction. And during the show, we talked about the stigma um, that we often see in the black and brown community for those who are using uh, illicit drugs, but also sometimes the stigma that is placed upon the families of of drug users and abusers. And and, uh, often it's a very uncomfortable place, and it forces us not to talk about the issue 
but more importantly, it forces us not to get help. So you talk about the stigma that happens for those who are using, how to break that, but also how families should see this as, as an opportunity to lean in as opposed to isolating those individuals who are struggling. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I feel like we can never talk about stigma in black communities without talking about structural racism. And I say that because I think that there are two sides of the same coin, right? When we had the crack cocaine epidemic in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, um, the images that were put out there about black folks with addiction were the poster children for stigma. Um, welfare queen, all welfare, those things, right? all yeah, those yeah, things. Yeah. like, so the ideas that were put out there about us to us were full of stigma and we can internalize those stigmatizing ideas. Um, there are some, there are some words that I just won't even say, right. I, there are some phrases that I won't even give a nod to because of how stigmatizing and degrading they are mm-hmm. as it relates to substance use in black communities. Mm-hmm. But that is what was externally put on us. And then we internalized those ideas. We bought into it, mm-hmm. right? Because it was seen everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the other dehumanizing practices related to um, the way substance use in black communities fueled mass incarceration, mm-hmm. like it added to that sense that something was wrong with us, mm-hmm. that we had to have law enforcement invading our communities in a way that took people out of our out mm-hmm. of their homes mm-hmm. because something was wrong with us. It became policy. It became policy. Mm-hmm. So stigma in the black community is not just not just about how we see ourselves, but how the systems in this country saw us yeah. and then perpetuated those ideas. And now that addiction has been impacting other communities and there's this change in the way that the systems of this country are perceiving addiction, Um, we're struggling ourselves with trying to see ourselves differently Mm -hmm. and trying to see our loved ones differently and Mm -hmm. trying to have that same kind of compassion that we were due from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like it should have been happening in the 70s and 80s. We should have been getting additional treatment resources. We should have been um, thinking about this as a disease and not as a moral failing. But that idea that it's a moral failing is still stuck in our minds. And I'm a part of the reason why I'm here is to help give us a different message and a different message specifically to us. Like that softness and that compassion is not just for white folks. Like, let's just be blunt and say it like, Mm -hmm. it's not just for them. It's for us too. And it can take some time to be able to embrace that and to really see it for ourselves. But we have to, if we're going to get the help that in some ways, I want to say that we deserve. Yeah. I, I love that idea around moral failing. And but but that it's an internalized yeah. perspective. Yeah. Um, that somehow what we're doing is is by choice. Right. I mean, when someone gets addicted to a drug like fentanyl mm-hmm. without knowing that fentanyl is in the product, mm-hmm. then that's not a choice. Perhaps the, the, the initial um, engagement with drugs is a mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. But I would think that most people don't engage. And maybe you can clarify this, that most people don't engage. Um, knowing that they're going to have a lifetime of addiction or that it's going to intentionally cause death. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. Most people who are using substances or even start using substances 
don't see themselves as having a severe addiction or don't see themselves going down a path that could um, really up in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it is this misconception around a person choosing to do that. There is a point in time when the way the substances impact your brain, the way the drugs impact your brain, that aspect of choice is dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer this active thing where you're just choosing the substance over your work or choosing the substance over other responsibilities. It's a feature of the way the drugs impact your brain. And it's, it has changed the way your brain processes information. So, so we talked about, um, you know, calling 275-3161, um, the, the hotline. But what are some other coping mechanisms yeah. that people should be considering when they start to fill off. So you use the example that, you know, what we, some people do is when you have an off day, you need to have a, a brief escape. Some people go to the bar, they go to the club, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is they do to have that, that temporary escape from reality. Mm-hmm. And it seems like those who um, repeatedly use drugs are looking for this permanent escape from reality. Mm-hmm. So when you find yourself moving from that one drink to 10 drinks, because it's not just mm-hmm. drug addiction, it's also alcohol addiction Absolutely. that you all um, you help support. We didn't talk much about that on the radio earlier, but it's also alcoholism. And so yeah. when you go from one to five, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, you know, one to five plus we, one mm-hmm. to five plus we plus, you know. Yeah. How do you self-regulate in those moments mm-hmm. and how can you cope and make different decisions that doesn't take you down a path that you might lose control of? Yeah. So um, one of the harder things about this is that it requires a little bit of self-reflection and some honesty with ourselves about what's motivating the choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Because sometimes we're just like, I just need to have a good time and I just need to let (laughs) off some steam. And and we leave it at that. But we don't always ask the deeper questions like, man, why do I need to let off steam? Like what's really going on in my life right now that's causing me to feel so overwhelmed that this is my only outlet? Um, So I'm a psychiatrist. I'm going to say we ought to be thinking about going to therapy. (laughs) We, We can't have this conversation without saying that we need to have a space for that reflection that's not always easy, right? Like it's not easy to look at the things in our lives that have been painful, whether it's trauma, whether it's a a really hard breakup, disappointment with your career or your employment, just the fact that like the housing market is ridiculous and rent prices are skyrocketing and and you want to live somewhere else, but you can't. And you're stuck in a house that you don't really like, but you can't afford to move somewhere else because we're in the midst of a housing crisis. Like that is stressful. And you feel like there are no ways out, Mm -hmm. but you need a space where you can like, unpack that in a healthy way for some people that's therapy and i i'm always say yes me too therapy. i have a therapist I say, my, my therapist has a therapist so it's right. Work, right yep <laughs> i have a therapist i've been seeing my therapist for five years and yeah. we we're good we're gonna keep yeah, doing that yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. all i will always be recommending that right and especially for black folks because of all the stuff we hold in in black and brown communities, it's like what happens in this house stays in this house. All of those things we hold so much in and you need a space to be able to talk about it that's like safe and that can be productive. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for some folks, a healthy coping mechanism is their faith. Mm-hmm. It is spirituality. 
whether that's going to a church or another house of worship, whether that is meditation or having like having a meditative practice. Mm-hmm. There, there are many different ways that people engage with spirituality, but that's another healthy coping mechanism that allows you to unpack some of those underlying things. And some folks are like, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to run. Right, right, <laughs> I'm going right. to like, yeah, yeah. no, no, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to play. I'm going to play ball with my boys. Like whatever that mm-hmm. is, that just gets you out of the headspace mm-hmm. where you're like overwhelmed by pressures to the point that having a drink or getting some weed is the only is the only way that you see right. for relaxation. And what I love about what I love about your conversation earlier is that not once did you tell people not to drink. Yeah. You know, and, and not to do the things that make sense for them. Yeah. But you really talked about control yeah. and moderation yeah. and also having resources at your disposal. Again, we talk about, um, uh, you know, just 275-3161, strong recovery. Um, but I, what, what other things are you seeing in the community? I mean, you're from this community. You know this community, you know. What are other things in this community that, that may be uh, a great resource for for folks Hmm. who aren't ready to necessarily go to um, get professional support just yet? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, again, I'll mention our houses of worship, right? And just having another space for support because for some people that that resonates with them. And so if that resonates with you, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to say, go go and engage with that if Mm -hmm. it's something that you've been disconnected from. Um, There are also other resources in the community called um, like other peer supports, right, for folks who have been in their own recovery journey. And they're not it's not a treatment program, but it's just a place where you can go and socialize and connect with folks. So one of those is called Raw Recovery Always, Mm -hmm. um, where they're going to do they do outreach at times to um, in streets. If folks are um, unhoused, they'll do those kinds of outreach events. But then they also have like other like healthy social gatherings. Another um, place is called Rock Covery Fitness. It's on Dewey Avenue. This is for folks who are looking to engage in a, in a journey related to recovery from substance use, but they're going to have, they have a calendar of events where they're doing something every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, They are hiking. They have like, they're, they're engaging with nature, Uh 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 all, all these types of things just so that you can find a healthy outlet and you can just walk in. You don't have, you don't have to do an intake. You don't have to like mm-hmm. call a number. They're they're open and available. You can just walk in and meet other people who are trying to find healthy ways of coping with life stress. Well, I thank you, Dr. Mathis, for your uh, continued commitment to this community, um, for your professional expertise. Um, but I would say as important as your, your passion for uh, training the next generation of psychiatrists so that our community is not um, stigmatized. They don't see us as a moral failing, but they understand that there are resources available for them to adjust on the continuum of health and recovery and healing. So thank you so much, and thank you, WDKX listeners, for another episode of Check Your Health. Tune in next week for another segment. Um, This podcast will be on WDKX's website and will be shared generally on most social media platforms. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast on the WDKX Podcast Network. Provided by Vision Automotive.